Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, why should we value human life? On what grounds? Because if there is no God, if there is no purpose to life, if there is no thing known as goodness, if there is no justice, how could it be unjust to take a life? Why are human beings valuable? Well, that's one of many topics my friend Dr. Jeff Myers covers in his book, Truth Changes Everything, and he's with me here on the bonus podcast. Uh, last week, we did an entire program where we covered a lot of ground, but there's much more ground to be covered. So Jeff, as you know, is the president of Summit Ministries, summit.org. If you have anyone who's between 16 and 22 and you want to ground them in a biblical worldview, you need to send them to Summit over the summer. Manitou Springs, Colorado, right next to Colorado Springs, beautiful area. They'll have fun as well as hopefully walking away with a Christian worldview. But Jeff, in the book, you have an entire chapter on the value of human life, how Jesus followers have changed how we value human life. Why should we change or why should we value human life and how have Christians uh, gotten people to realize that human life is uniquely valuable beyond any other life? Yeah, huge questions. I think I want to start with a personal story about that. I, so this this chapter, this book, True Changes Everything, is for the purpose of looking back in history to find those times where things were so bad, the mm -hmm. crises were so severe that it didn't look like humanity would survive or that, our, that, that civilization would survive. And it did because Jesus' followers stepped in and made the difference. So I, but I, I was writing the book and, or I was thinking about what to write on and I got a cancer diagnosis. Mm. So all of a sudden I'm thinking, wow, if this is the last book I ever write, what would I write on? Am I sure that I want to write on this, on truth? And if I do want to write on truth, what do I want, I want to be sure people understand? And it was, it was basically this, truth exists, it is logical, it is rational, but it is also personal, that truth is personal because Jesus is the truth, mm -hmm. which changes the way we talk about truth. We don't just say the brutal truth anymore. Well, you would, if, you're, if you want to speak the truth, you have to do it in a relational way. If you want to relate, you have to do it in a truthful way. So, so that's sort of at the core of it. And then I thought, well, where did Jesus' followers make the biggest difference? And I realized it goes back to the idea that human life is valuable. We instinctively believe that human life is valuable. Although those numbers are slipping, Frank. Yes. We're now to the place where it's still over half of young adults believe that there is inherent value in a human life, but it's just over that. Mm -hmm. So we may actually have a tipping point here soon where people abandon the idea that human life is valuable. But up until now, people have believed 
a individual human life is valuable if they were approaching it from a biblical perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay. So anyway, the, the basis for understanding that human life is valuable is that human beings are of a different order, a different kind than other creatures. And this is something that researchers have been completely baffled by. You know, everybody's wanting to show how human beings simply evolved from pre-human ancestors. The one thing they can't explain is why human beings use phonated language to produce speech the way we do. In fact, in the 1960s and 1970s, was a guy named Herbert Terrace who did some research. He, he was trying to disprove this guy named Noam Chomsky, who's a professor at MIT. I believe he's still living. And Noam Chomsky was said, look, you can explain a lot through evolution, but you can't explain how, why human beings are the way we are. We're just different. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mortimer Adler actually wrote a book about this, all, another famous philosopher. And he, he called the book, The Difference of Man and the Difference It Makes. So Herbert Terra said, if I'm going to be a good psychologist, I have to disprove this. You know, I got to prove that it's only a secular world that makes worldview that makes any sense. So he got this chimpanzee. This is a true story. I tell this and I tell about this in the book. He got this chimpanzee. He's going to teach him sign language because he's trying to disprove Noam Chomsky. He mockingly names this chimpanzee Nim Chimsky. <laughs> okay. okay. And Nim Chimsky. All right. And Nim Chimsky. <laughs> And he teaches him sign language. And lo and behold, Nim, smart chimpanzee, learns 127 words. Mm-hmm. So Herbert Terrace is all prepared to write this report about his work with Nim, proving what's what's called the gestural hypothesis, that human beings learn to use gestures first, and then eventually, as their glottal structures evolved, they were able to produce phonated sound. Before hitting the send button on his report, he went back and re-looked at the tapes of Nim and found out that Nim only used his signs in mimicry of the trainers who were teaching him the signs. In Mm. other words, he taught a chimpanzee to speak only to realize that he had nothing to say. Mm, mm. And so he redid his entire thesis and ended up agreeing with Noam Chomsky and others who to this day say there is something unique about humans. We can't simply explain it evolutionarily. There's something unique. Well, where did they even come up with that idea? It goes back to the biblical idea of the soul. This is right from the very beginning in Genesis chapter two, that God made the human uh, made the human, and had, he had a living soul. It's this word nefesh. It means, it's used of animals too. I mean, it, it's, it, it, strictly speaking, means life force. Mm-hmm. But when it's applied to humans, it means the distinctiveness, the thing that makes the person different. And so who, who looked into the idea of the soul? The most famous philosopher probably to ever live, Thomas Aquinas. So he went through and was able to demonstrate through his thinking. And, you know, J.P. Moreland has picked up a lot of this work in our yes. own time. And he was able to say, look, uh, human beings are individuals. We know this. Human beings have a substance that is continuous. If my arm gets cut off, I'm still Jeff. Right. You know, even though my arm is not there, uh, I'm still Jeff, the same Jeff I was when I was 40, even though all of the cells in my body have been replaced since that time, that our substance is continuous, that we are intentional, that we have mental states that are more than just physical, and that we have purposings. The other creatures have desires, surely, 
but they don't desire to have desires. Mm-hmm. They have intentions or they, they have uh, uh, longings perhaps, but they don't long to have longings. They have a purpose, but they don't have purpose sings in the sense that they can intentionally set out to do things. So all of this establishing the basis that, you know, there's something unique about human beings that's different than other creatures. Not only do Christians theorize about it based on scripture, but they acted on it. And this is where we developed the entire aspect of medical care. Uh, Catherine of Siena, when when the plague came in the 1300s, she ran toward the sick people rather than away from them. She became a saint. The people in the Catholic Church are very familiar with her. There's a feast day named after her. And she was asked, why do you run toward the people? You're going to get sick and you're going to die. You know, all the smart people are running away. And she said, I want to be with Jesus. And I know Mm. from scripture that Jesus is with the suffering. Mm. So if I want to be with Jesus, I go sit with the suffering because that's where Jesus is. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't the only one. The clergy had a much higher death rate during the plague than the general population because they decided that they were going to move toward them with the sick people rather than away from them and if they died then they would go to heaven to be with sure. jesus they did they not realize believe there was more to life there's more to life mm-hmm. it, what gives meaning to life is something that's actually outside of that's life it. itself yeah that's what i want so, to ask you about because it seems uh and william lane craig has talked about this quite a bit the absurdity of life without god in fact i just heard a podcast of his uh, earlier today when uh, Michael Shermer, the skeptic, I've debated a couple times, and uh, I, I don't know if Craig has, but others have debated Michael, um, about this idea that um, there is no ultimate meaning or ultimate goodness or ultimate value to human beings unless God exists. Shermer's trying to say there is, and Craig is saying no, because we're all going to wind up in the same place ultimately if there is no God. We're just going to go to heat death. We're going to be dead. So what does it matter if you die now or die 100 years from now? What does it matter ultimately if you're a Hitler or a Mother Teresa is really the point. Unless God exists and there is an eternity, nothing ultimately, ultimately matters. It might matter in the short term to us personally, but not in an objective, eternal way. Anything to unpack further there, Jeff, on that? Oh, I think so. Yeah, it, it would just be a personal opinion. Yeah, yeah. If, if I'm threatened by somebody breaking into my house... And they they threaten to kill me, which would cut my life short by the additional 35 or 40 years that I expect to live. Have they really robbed me of anything of value? Mm. That is a very difficult question to answer if there's no transcendent truth of some kind. Now, it you don't I, a lot of people have been able to reason their way to the value of human life without referring specifically to the Christian God who was incarnated in the person of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But if you understand the nature of the incarnation that Jesus came and that his incarnation is a present reality, that means that our lives are not valuable just because we hold them to be, be valuable or because other people like us, but because Jesus is here with us now at all moments, that the truth of scripture is a present reality. And a lot of people don't think about this. They look at the Bible as a historical book. Jesus Mm -hmm. never looked at it as a historical book. He never said it was written in the past. He always says it is written. Mm. Like it is present. It is now that the word of God is here with us. That was the unique Christian understanding that led to the way we think of the value of human life today. And most people still get this. If you just look at people of faith, 
and you just add up all of the time they donate, all of the money they donate, the economic value, according to Brian Grimm, who's a sociologist, I believe, at the University of Pennsylvania, it's worth $2.67 trillion a year. This is about 20% of the United States economy. You know, the United States federal government gives about 30 or so billion dollars a year, $33 billion a year in foreign aid. Mm -hmm. American Christians give $44 billion a year. You know, there are 130,000 church-based addiction recovery programs. There are no, almost none that are based in atheist organizations or secular organizations. Christians putting their feet where they put their words is mm -hmm. what has changed the course of the world. Mm -hmm. And we're supposed to be God's imagers. We are God's imagers, but we're supposed to be as ambassadors as well here on earth. We're not just supposed to get fire insurance, ladies and gentlemen, and wait for our bodies to decay. That's not the Christian viewpoint. The gospel isn't just fire insurance. The gospel is not only being saved, but then sanctified and then being an ambassador for Christ here to help him bring his kingdom in, to bring as many people into eternity with you as you can. So there's a lot more to this. And that's what ultimately makes life valuable is because God has created us and he has an eternal future for us. And what we do here will impact what happens not only now, but in eternity. And Jeff, yeah. you unpack this much more in the book, Truth Changes Everything. Why did you decide to have a chapter, though, on the value of human life? Why, 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 why was that such an important uh, topic you wanted to cover? I think it was, I, I th one of the questions I asked when I was a kid is, if, if the spiritual is all that really matters, which is what I was being taught in church, or at least what I understood about what mm -hmm. was being taught, if the spiritual is all that really matters, then why do we even have bodies? Mm -hmm. Why is there even a physical world to begin with? Were you in a platonic church that the spiritual is all that matters and, and the, the, the physical body means nothing? It, is that really? It was, it was actually fairly Gnostic, mm -hmm. which was bizarre. But no, nobody thought that beyond being a nice person and being ethical in your business dealings, that there was anything outside of the church that related to being a Christian. Wow. Like you... You know, you share the gospel, you try to get as many people to go to heaven as possible, you you don't cheat people, and you don't hurt people, and then you're a good Christian. That's all there is. There's nothing more. Wow. You did, you reminded me of something that your your mentor, Dr. Naver, uh, David Noble, did years ago when he surveyed uh, incoming summit students. You might know of this survey, Jeff. I know, he told it to me. Maybe, I don't know if he mentioned it to you or not, where he surveyed 400 incoming summit students and he put a whole number of aspects of reality on a sheet of paper. And he said, is this sacred or secular, right? So yeah. obviously the church sacred, you know, but is business sacred or secular? Is the media sacred or secular? Is, uh, you know, um, medicine sacred or And he just went through all these different aspects of reality. And he said out of the 400 students coming into Summit, only two of them got the test 100% right that everything is sacred. Everything is sacred, yeah. Yes, yeah. everything yeah. is sacred. Because we, we have this division in our, our minds. But I think it's an interesting thing when, when you look at philosophy, you know, it, you studied philosophy, so mm -hmm. you know, it is actually easier to come up with the logical proofs to explain the existence of a concept like justice or liberty mm -hmm. than it is to come up with the logical proofs to explain the existence of something in physical reality. 
This is mm. one of those weird quirks of philosophers. Mm -hmm. But the fact that we are embodied, that God created us with bodies, and he called everything that he created good, not only good, but very good, tov meod in Hebrew, which means extraordinarily good. Why did he do that if the spiritual is all that matters? Yeah, it's There's that something matters. about yeah. what God has given us to do in our lifetimes, in our physical bodies, that is central to what he has made us as human beings to be and to do. Well, our, so, our, our ultimate destiny is a physical heaven and earth, right? It's We're not going to be Casper the Friendly Ghost. We're going we're gonna to have their <laughs> physical bodies resurrected. I'll tell you, what blows the minds of so many Summit Ministry students when they come in, because a lot of them have been in church for a long time, but they don't know the arc of Scripture. They mm -hmm. don't really understand the flow of the Bible. Right, right. I would say most of them do not. Yeah. So one of the things I'll do is have them read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the beginning of all things, and then read Revelation 20, 21, and 22, the mm -hmm. end of all things. Mm -hmm. Read the beginning with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. And when they read in Revelation 20, 21, 22, they'll invariably come to me and say, you know what's mind-blowing here? At the end of all things, these passages say that God comes to be with us. That's right. Like, I always thought that I would go to be with God. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But at the end of all things, God comes to be with us. And there's a new heaven and a new earth that the physical aspect of our being is really important. And Frank, our Catholic friends seem to get this yeah. more than Protestants yeah, do. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Like the, the theology of the body, if you're looking for a Protestant theology of the body, there's almost nothing out there. And me and Nancy Piercy has written on sure. this from a Protestant perspective. But it is really significant that we understand that our bodies are central to who God has designed us to be on purpose. Well, it depends on who you follow philosophically. If you follow Augustine, he he kind of had a platonic hangover. If you follow Aquinas, he's going to talk more about the body. It's also interesting, and this is great yeah. for weddings. I just uh, officiated a couple of weddings for friends uh, in the past month or so, that the Bible starts with a wedding and ends with a wedding. It starts with Adam and Eve being married and it ends with Christ coming to wed his church. Yeah. And it's it's the the parallels here uh are amazing. The symmetry so cool. of the scripture is amazing. But Jeff, we're running out of time here for this bonus <laughs> podcast. I do want to ask you something extremely practical about the book Truth Changes Everything. You have a chapter in here on how to have conversations with people to bring them back to truth. Can you give us some tips on how people yeah. can do that? Yeah, I called the chapter, How to Speak the Truth and Be Nice at the Same Time. Right. Not because being nice is a biblical value. Mm -hmm. It Jesus actually isn't something. Being nice is not a value that you're going to find in scripture. Being mm -hmm. kind, you will. Mm -hmm. uh, the apostle Paul said to Timothy, be gentle to everyone. Mm -hmm able to teach and patient, instructing your opponents with gentleness. That's a biblical value. What's the difference in your view between nice and kind? Well, I see, I think the reason I wrote the chapter title that mm -hmm. way is because that's what most people tell me. They want to be nice. I don't mm -hmm. want to not be nice. Mm -hmm. So I'm just saying, okay, fine. You want to be nice. Here's how to speak the truth and be nice at the same time. All right. That was sort of my goal. But the, the practical strategies go back to asking questions. I think it's been a big breakthrough for a lot of people who've gotten that far in the book, and it's only been out for a couple of weeks, so not that many people have yet. 
But people who've gotten that far in the book tell me, you know, I feel for the first time that I can walk into a conversation and not feel ashamed that I don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the core strategy, and I give 14 different points here, including Mm -hmm. how do you act when you are challenged by somebody who is hostile to you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, What do you do in that situation? You've faced that before, Frank. Most people don't want to face that. They would rather say nothing than to face that. Mm. So I show you in the book how to overcome that. But one of the core strategies is just asking questions. If you're not sure what to say in a conversation with somebody who's expressing a belief that you know is not biblical, just start by asking them, tell me more about that. Mm -hmm. Don't just make the point. Don't just give me the bumper sticker. Tell me more. Why do you say that? Why did you say it that way? When you use that term, well, what do you mean? You know, mm-hmm. and it's in anything. Somebody says, you're a Christian, you vote, you're a Christian nationalist, you're yeah. evil, you're Hitler. Right, yeah. Oh, tell me more about that. Yeah, what do you mean you know, What do you that? mean? Unpack that for me. I don't want to just see the bumper sticker. Right. I want to know what you're thinking. Yeah, Okay. Good. Tell me more about that. Five conversation-altering words. Very similar and then you can to, follow to, that up. to Greg's tactics, Greg Kokel's tactics, right? Yeah, you're asking It's very similar. Yeah. It, it is, yes. Yeah. And uh, Greg Kokel's book, Tactics, is our number one selling book at Summit Ministries. Yeah, it should be, yeah. Uh, when I first met Greg, I was amazed because I had been teaching on, uh, so I had five core questions that I teach everybody that I've been doing for decades, but even before I met Greg, and I was just so pleased to see the way he's done that. I'd recommend that book to anybody. Go, go through the five but, right now. You don't have to elaborate on it, but what are the five? Go ahead. Okay, I'm going to start. I'm going to start by asking to define that. So tell me more about that. Yeah. Okay, just t- tell me more. Uh-huh. It doesn't hurt my feelings. It doesn't diminish me in any way to listen. Okay. It's actually good. All right. People find those who listen as being more attractive. Mm-hmm than others. And I'm not talking about physical attractiveness, just as a person. Right, sure. Yeah. So listen, okay? Second thing is to find the terms. What do mm-hmm. you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Third question is, how did you arrive at that conclusion? Because mm-hmm. I want to know what the people, all ideas have consequences, yes, but ideas have histories too. John Stone Street talks about this a lot from the Colson Center. Ideas have histories. Uh, but people don't usually embrace an idea just randomly. They, there's some reason. There's some place they heard mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. There's some reason why it makes sense to them. Right. Could be a trauma. It could be that they're trying to prove a point. Could be a person that they are, are trying to disprove mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, how did you arrive at that conclusion? Another one is how do you know that's true? Mm-hmm. Okay. People, even if they say there's no such thing as truth, <laughs> if you ask how do you know that's true, usually they'll say they won't say well there's no truth. Because then that would defeat their own argument. Of course. Right? Yeah. They're trying to make a point to you. Mm-hmm. So they will say, well, I guess I have. I need to have some reasons. Yes, you do. What are your reasons? Mm-hmm. What are the facts behind this? Mm-hmm. Tell me what they are. I mean, I'm not saying I can answer them all. Right. I just want to know what they are. Right. And then the final question I always ask, Frank, is what happens if you are wrong? Mm. Okay. Why? Because even in things where we think we know everything, like in science... We're wrong most of the time. Yeah, things get overturned. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. I went through I went through cancer. You can imagine how discouraging it was. I've been in remission for 13 months. I'm grateful to the Lord for that. But you can imagine how discouraging it was to find that only 11% of cl- preclinical trials 
with cancer drugs were ever able to be replicated. Mm. Like people put out these drugs and say, they were this, and you, you know, they follow can't, they the can't science. It. Oh, wow. Follow the science. It works. Mm -mm. Nope. So what do you understand science to be? Not as proof that there are facts, mm. but as the intentional pursuit of failure for the sake of progress. Mm -hmm. And if you think of it in that way, then you realize, oh, okay, yeah. So I know I could be wrong. And if I am wrong, there are implications to that. But it leaves people thinking. The cool thing about a good question is it keeps on asking long after the conversation's over. Those are some key questions, friends. Get used to using them. And it's easy to ask questions. It's hard to answer them. And if you listen, as Jeff just said, people are going to be more apt to find you attractive and interact with you. You should be doing 80% listening, 20% talking. And that's, that's the way you can do it with these questions. And these questions are in the book, Truth Changes Everything, ladies and gentlemen. So you ought to pick it up. Truth Changes Everything by my friend Jeff Myers. Jeff, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Give uh, our listeners and viewers a place they can learn more about you and what you're doing. Well, you, you want to come to summit.org, two M's, one T, summit.org. And that, that's the website for Summit Ministries. We're equipping and supporting a rising generation to embrace God's truth and to champion a biblical worldview. One thing, I, Frank, you've, you've done some of these for us where we will go and speak, say, to a church or to yeah. another group. We can actually customize the Summit Ministries program to any group, anywhere, for any length of time. Uh, and it can and be during the year, too, friends. It doesn't it, have to be in the during summer. During the year. Does, that's yeah. right. It doesn't have to be yeah. in the summertime. We do them overseas. Right. I'm getting ready to do one for uh, Service Academy cadets. Uh, we we've got one coming up for grandparents a grandparenting summit so if you think ah two weeks and i'm not of the right age but i think my church would like to know about this we want you to reach out to us and let's see if we can help you put together a program that brings in some of the people you hear on on this show and on some of the other shows or who are other speakers at summit ministries that's fabulous. Ladies and gentlemen, summit.org. Check it out. Two M's, one T, summit.org. And uh, if you want to have them come to you, that can be done, as Jeff just said. So in addition to sending your 16 to 22-year-old to Manitou Springs or Lookout Mountain, Tennessee in the summer, they can come to you the rest of the year. So check it out, summit.org. Also, Make sure you get Jeff's new book, Truth Changes Everything. There's great chapters in there. We've talked about a few of them on this podcast and the one earlier. Thank you for being part of the bonus I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist midweek podcast. We, Lord willing, will see you next week. And next week, we're going to bring you some interviews from the Evangelical Theological Society meeting in Denver. So you don't want to miss that. Some of the best scholars in the world will be there. We'll see you here next week. God bless.